You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. So as, as Blake said, uh, today is the start of Holy Week, and if you've been with us during Lent, you know that we are in a series right now called I Am, where we are looking at the seven I Am statements from the Gospel of John. And so today we're looking at one, and then Friday we're actually looking at I Am the Bread of Life from John 6, and then a week from today on Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking at I Am the Resurrection and the life, perhaps one of Jesus' boldest claims from John 11. Uh, but today, we get a three-for-one, uh, because Jesus' claim today is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I have uh, three young kids, seven-year-old, five-year-old, and four-year-old. And we do this thing called Daddy-Daughter, Daddy-Son dates, where we get together and just have a fun night out. And my, my kid's favorite place to go these days is Culver's on 84th Street, right? Any other Butterburger custard fans in here? Yeah, like cheese curds, love it, yeah. My kids are obsessed with that place, except they can't quite say the name of it, so they call it Clover's, not Culver's. And uh, my kids love Culver's so much that they know exactly how to get there, okay? So we live on... Uh, off the door exit. So for us, it's 142nd to 131 to 84th. They know this. 142nd, 131 to 84th. They know this like the back of their hand. They know how to get to Clover's. They can't pronounce it, but they know how to get there. And uh, I remember one time we were driving and I had to run to the bank or something beforehand. And so we took a different way to get to Clover's Instead of 131, we took Byron Center Avenue up to 84th, and you would have thought the world was ending, right? My kids thought we were taking a detour through China. They're like, this is not the way to Clover's, freaking out, because they had learned the way to Clover's, and they said, this is not the way, Dad. You're taking us the wrong way. You're leading us astray, Dad. We don't trust you. This is not the way to Clover's, to which I said, he who cannot pronounce the name of the restaurant does not get an opinion about how we get there. We aren't going the right way. This is not the right way. And then all of a sudden we show up to Clover's and they're like, oh, it's right there. We were wrong the whole time. See, their problem was they didn't trust the one who was taking them where he promised they would go. They didn't trust the one who was driving the car. They didn't trust the one who was taking them where we promised we were going. They were lost They were disoriented, they were anxious because they simply didn't trust their dad to take them where he promised we would go. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's every single one of us. I know there's moments in my life where a twist or a turn comes, a season happens differently than I thought, and I find myself disoriented, struggling to trust the one who is leading me where he promises we will go. There are moments in my life where I don't know who I am because I struggle to know the one taking me where I'm going. Moments where I struggle to trust him. 
moments of disorientation. God, I thought life would look like this, but instead it looks like this. And I struggle to trust that you're actually going where you promise we will go together. Moments of instability. God, is this situation going to work out? Is it going to be okay? There are moments in my life where I don't know where I am because I struggle to know the one taking me where he promises we will go together. And I think this is a universal experience. I think every single one of us find ourselves in moments of extreme instability, extreme uncertainty, disorientation, because we struggle to know and trust the one taking us where we are going. Hannah, if you can put that slide up there. This is what I want us to kind of write down and process through this morning. I don't know who I am from time to time because I struggle to know the one taking me where I am going. Just like my kids in Clovers, I am the same way with God from time to time. And in John 14, Jesus answers a really simple yet critical question. He answers the question, do you know the one taking you where you're going? Can he be trusted? Is he safe? Because here's the truth. Whether we like to admit it or not, we are all being taken somewhere by someone. The road you are on is not neutral. According to Jesus himself, if we take Jesus at his word, the road you are on is either leading one of two places, to a place of abundant life or a place of abundant destruction. The question to ask yourself is, are you being led to a place that you want to go? Jesus believed that you cannot get to a place of abundant life on your own. He believed that you need someone to take you there. And so in John 14, this is where he really hashes this out with his disciples. In John 14, verses 1 through 7, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I, this is the famous statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus here is making some bold claims about who he is. That he is both fully God and fully man at the same time. And he's having this conversation with his closest followers, with his disciples. And he says, you don't know God because you don't know me. See, they're having a hard time grasping the mission of Jesus. And because of that, you don't even really know yourselves. Your hearts are troubled, is what Jesus says to them. So when Jesus is talking to his disciples here in this moment, essentially they're in a place where they're not trusting him to take them to Clovers. (laughs) They're not trusting him to take them where he promises they will go. Their hearts are troubled. In other words, you don't know who you are. You don't know where you are because you're struggling to trust the one taking you there. 
when he talks to his disciples and when he makes these statements, he's not just making these statements in a vacuum. They're not just random theological things. He's responding to specific situations. And the question that he's responding to in this moment when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is his disciple Peter who says to him, where are you going? Let me go with you. I would die for you, Jesus. Right? Peter sounds like a lovesick teenager in this moment. I would die for you. And Jesus goes, you can't handle where I am going. (laughs) Like when this thing gets really hard, you're going to bail, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to lose. You're not going to know where you are. You're going to be disoriented. You're not going to know what's going on because you don't trust the one taking you where I promise you to go. And then Philip steps in, he says, or I'm sorry, then Thomas steps in, he says, but Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How will we know the way to get there? And that's when Jesus responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Philip says, that's cool, Jesus, but just show us who God is. And if I'm Jesus in this moment, I just throw up my hands and say, I'm done with a lot of y'all. You don't, you don't get it. You see, if, if you've seen and you followed me, you know the heart of the Father, you know what God is like. Jesus literally says to Philip, have you not followed me all this time and you still don't get it? You don't know who you are because you don't know the one taking you where you're going. His tone here is one of tender encouragement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, you can trust me to take you where I promise we will go. And what is his promise? His promise is abundant life. He's saying you can actually take me at my word on that, that you can trust me to take you where I promise we are going. But in order to do that, you have to know and you have to trust the one taking you there. One of the most pressing questions in our culture today, and this is an important question. I'm not knocking on knowing the answer to this question, but one of the most pressing questions that our culture is asking today is, how can I know myself? Right, that's a question everybody's asking. There's been this massive explosion of personality tests, like any other Enneagram fans in here. I like the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, Strength Finder, DISC. We are obsessed with knowing ourselves. Why? Because, is he the only nerd in here that... I like personality tests. There's nothing wrong with knowing yourself, but here's the problem. For so many of us, we obsess and our culture obsess over knowing ourselves because we are the ones in the driver's seat of our own lives. That if I can know myself, I can trust myself to to take me where I want to go. That if I am leading my own life, then I believe knowing myself is the key to stability, predictability, and peace. But Jesus says there is a more important, more pressing question for you to answer in your life, and it's this. Do you know God? You can obsess over knowing yourself, but do you know God? And what I love about Jesus is he's not just after this heady theological knowledge about God. He is into personal encounter, intimate experience with God. Do you know about God or do you know God? This is the tension of the disciples. Jesus' disciples don't know who they are because they don't know the one taking them where they are going. And what Jesus is saying is, I've got you. 
I've given you every tool that you need to know God intimately, personally, and experientially. Not more about God, more God. Not knowing more about him, not knowing more of him, but knowing him. Some of us here this morning, we don't know who we are. We're disoriented with life. Things are coming at us, and it's confusing, and it's unstable, and it's frustrating because we haven't learned to trust the one taking us where he promises we will go if we follow him. The problem is that many people admire and respect Jesus from a distance as a way, as a truth, as a life to aid in me being the God of my own life. But that's not his invitation. His invitation is to know God, to pursue him, and to experience abundant life as a result. You cannot get to abundant life on your own. You need someone to take you there. When I think about my own life, and I think a lot of us probably wrestle with this, I have insecurities, I have anxieties. I mean, I've been on medication for five years for some of that stuff. I'm not opposed to counseling and medication. I think those are incredibly important tools. But here's what I know about my own life. So long as insecurity and anxiety and instability lives within me, there is more of God for me to know. Some of us think we've experienced all of God there is to experience. Some of us think that our experience of God is all there is to know and experience of him. But so long as there is unresolved stuff in my life, so long as there is a lack of faith or an instability, there is more of God for me to know. And spoiler alert, you will never know all there is to know of God. There is always more to know of God. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, if you give your life to me, if you follow me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you do that, when you build your life around that, you will know God. You'll experience more of him in the uncertainty, more of him in the instability. You'll experience the God who can be trusted. You'll learn how to hear his voice and know his will. You will experience and you will know God. And by the way, you'll know yourself in the process in an entirely different way. See, so many of us, our sin issues, the things we don't want to admit to ourselves and others, our places of deepest embarrassment and shame stem from a lack of knowing God personally. I've had so many people come up to me over the years and say things like, yeah, I believe Jesus died for my sin, and yeah, I believe Jesus saves, saved me, but there's no way God could look at me and call me righteous based on the things that I've done or do. And I would say two things to that. Number one, you're, you're right. There's no way God looks at you and calls you righteous based on the things that you do or have done. He looks at you and he calls you righteous based on what his son has done for you. And so when we think about this idea of salvation, salvation is both a moment and a journey in our lives. Salvation is both and. Like the moment that you cry out to Jesus and declare him Lord of your life, the moment you surrender your life to him, you are declared righteous before God. You are justified in that instant, in that moment. But for so many of us, it can take a lifetime for that to truly sink in and understand the transforming power of what he's done. Hebrews says he is able to save completely those who trust in him. Not a partial salvation. 
Not a, hey, God, you get some of these things, and I'm going to maintain some of these things. Or, God, I'm going I'm to be the way, the truth, and the life for my own life. But, God, I'll give you kind of the sidekick role. No, he is able to save completely, wholly those who give their lives over to him. This is Jesus' claim when he calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. Some of us, we don't know who we are, we don't know where we are because we haven't learned to trust the one taking us where we're going. Is that you? Me sometimes, if I'm honest. When my, uh, when my wife and I were first married, we were photographing weddings um, kind of all over Michigan, and so we had to, to drive, obviously, to get where we were going, and we would, we would often pull out our phones and route ourselves to the destination. But this was back in 2011-ish time, and Siri wasn't quite invented at that point yet. So when you routed on your phone back then, some of you younger like students and stuff won't remember the, the hard days like this. Actually, <laughs> some of you are like, I was there with the Atlas map pulling that out. <laughs> but the early days of iPhone, Siri was not a thing, and so you'd have to, you'd have to route, and I think the, the success rate of Apple Maps was about 20% at the time. And, and so you'd have to route, and you'd have to try to decipher and read the map as you went. It was a very painful thing, okay? So the most commonly uttered phrase in our car was, oh, shoot, that was your exit, or that was your turn. Anybody else? I'm convinced Siri has healed a variety of marriages when it comes to routing. And the problem is, This is how so many of us approach Scripture and life with Jesus. That that we come to this book and we just try to to read it for general principles and to know more about God and we, we leave it kind of frustrated and hard to decipher like a map that's hard to read. Oh shoot, that was your exit. That was your turn. Or for others of us, we navigate this life in isolation thinking that when we're in a season of disorientation or uncertainty that we have to climb our way out of it on our own. And so we just kind of do it on our own, in isolation, without inviting other people around us. But I I remember the moment that Siri was invented and placed on our iPhones, and all of a sudden, it wasn't just us kind of trying to read and decipher a map, but now we had turn-by-turn instructions. Siri saved our marriage. No, it's... (laughs) And literally, it would be like, in 500 feet, turn right. No more missed turns. No more, you know, wrong directions. And this is exactly who Jesus has provided us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That for you to go and try to read your Bible apart from the Holy Spirit, you're going to leave frustrated and directionless and confused. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, man, he is your advocate he is your helper. He is the one who makes the word of God come to live, alive. He is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who points you to the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus Christ. I love how Jesus says this in John 14. He's talking with his disciples in this same exact chapter, same exact breath, about being the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what he promises to experience this way, this truth, and this life? The Holy Spirit. John 14, verses 15 through 20 says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I love this next line. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Church, this is why we need a way, the truth, and the life in the person of Jesus. Because we don't know how to find our way to life on our own. We need guideposts, signs, markers. By the way, we're celebrating communion this coming Friday and then baptism on the 16th. Both communion and baptism serve as signposts and markers to help us see the way of Jesus. That's why we celebrate those things, right? They help remind us when our tendency is to get off course or take the driver's seat of our own lives. By celebrating those things, we are reminded that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way for us to know God. Jesus promises another helper. And the word for another used in the text here is one who's like him. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He is your advocate. He is like our Siri who makes sense of the map that's hard to read on our own. He is there to convict us when we take a wrong turn or step off course. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit reveals the heart of God on a turn-by-turn basis to you in your life. I love how Billy Graham sums up the role of the Holy Spirit. This is what Billy Graham says about the Holy Spirit. If you want to throw that up there, Hannah. The Holy Spirit illuminates the minds of people, makes us yearn for God, and brings clarity to spiritual truth. He gives liberty to the Christian, direction to the worker, discernment to the teacher, power to the world, word, and fruit to faithful service. The Holy Spirit reveals the things of Christ. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work in perfect unity so that we can know the heart of God. And more than that, that we can trust him to take him at his word and to take us where he promises we'll go if we follow him. The question for us is, do we trust him to take us there? Do we trust him enough to give up some things in our lives, to surrender some things in our lives, to take us where he promises we'll go if we follow him? When was the last time you sat with God in the quiet and just waited on his voice? Some of us We have so many inputs from our phones and our minds just running that even when we come to God in prayer, it's all about talking, talking, talking first. And yet, for Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life in our lives, some of us, we just need to learn to listen to God. We need to learn how to quiet all of the mumblings and input and noise around us so that we can hear his voice break through the the noise and the news. (laughs) When was the last time you stepped out in faith when it felt scary? When we do this, the way, the truth, and the life, he actually exposes more of who God is to us. When we put ourselves out there in faith, when we take steps that feel risky and yet are obedient. When was the last time you gave something over to God that you really wanted control over? 
This is my challenge. might be yours too. Control is just an illusion. At the end of the day, when was the last time you gave something over to God that you really wanted to control? You see, the greatest resistance that some of us have to knowing God and trusting him is that we'll lose ourselves in the process. I don't know who I am without my anger. I don't know who I am without my anxieties. I don't know who I am without the illusion of control. I'm Peter. I'm Thomas. I'm Philip. Overconfident in myself, without direction, and doubting, afraid of the future. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if he's going to be the way, the truth, and the life for you, you have to surrender your right to sit in the driver's seat of your life. You have to surrender that if Jesus is going to lead you to abundant life. You have to surrender the driver's seat. Jesus, take the wheel. Somebody should write a song about that. He is the way. He is the bridge to life. He is the one who reveals the heart of God to us. That doesn't just mean seeing God with your eyes. He says this in this text here, that if you've seen him, you've seen God. This doesn't mean just eyesight of God. This means intimate knowledge and personal experience of God. That if you've encountered Jesus, you know what God is like because he is God. He is clarity when life disorients us. He is belonging when life is lonely. He is uh, security when life is unsure. He is the way to God because he is God. And you cannot walk the way of Jesus without walking the way of the cross. Saying, God, I don't get the driver's seat of this life. You do. God, I'm going to lose myself because I believe in losing myself is actually where I find myself. God, I am going to die to myself every single day. I'm going to give you the driver's seat of my life because I trust you to take me where you promise we'll go together. So he's the way. But Jesus also is the truth. He has to be the truth. That means what he says, his teachings, his way of life, take precedence over my feelings, over what I think is practical, over public opinion, over the opinion of friends, over the opinion of experts. He has to be the truth for us if we're going to know God. I've heard this said before, and I love this statement. If your version of Jesus always agrees with you, it's probably not Jesus that you're following. That following Jesus means that my preferences and my opinions are sometimes confronted I am concerned that, that there are so many Christians, especially young Christians, just manufacturing this version of Jesus that always agrees with them and never confronts the stuff that he actually wants to heal. Jesus is the truth, which means I reorient my life around what he says is good and what he says is not good. The, the ways that he has showed us to live. He even says this here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then finally, Jesus says, I must be the life. I have to be the reason you live. He's not just an option among many. He's not just a help for your career. He is the very reason for your career. He's not just a ladder to climb. He's your why. He's not a help for your life. He is your life, full stop. He wants to be first if you are going to know God. He wants you to live as if life emanates from him because it does. He is the source of your life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. A number of years ago, 
had an opportunity to lead a group of students to Never the Same Camp. And this is a camp that we're bringing students to this summer. Uh, man, it is a life-changing week of camp for, for students. And I'll never forget, it was 2017 uh, when there were some staff at camp. Uh, one of them was a woman named Lisa. And Lisa did not know Jesus. She was on the interpreter team. She is a deaf woman, and she didn't know Jesus. She walked into the week thinking she knew all about God, but she did not know God personally. In fact, for most of Lisa's life, she had been told that God made her deaf to punish her. And so she knew isolation. She knew loneliness. She couldn't even find a church community to belong to. And I'll never forget Lisa and just watching what God unfolded in Lisa's life over that week. For some reason, she began every single day bringing me questions about God. She'd find me during our open free time in the afternoon and just bring her list of questions. Things like, did God punish me by making me deaf? No, Lisa. God created you that way to express his beautiful diversity in creation. Does God want me to stay lonely and isolated? No, Lisa, God created you for community, created you for belonging. And and what I witnessed in Lisa day by day is God began changing her and challenging her because for the first time in her life, she was confronted with what she thought she knew about God compared to an invitation to truly actually know the heart of God for her. And what was so powerful to watch is every single day I answered her questions, and believe me, I fumbled through most of them. I didn't know some of the answers, but did my best. And by the end of the week, she had come to me and she said, okay, I think I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I think I'm ready to trust in Jesus. And so we prayed together. And she trusted in Jesus as the way and the truth and the life for her for the first time in her life. I brought brought a picture of this moment that somebody took of us, probably one of my favorite pictures in ministry. It's just this moment of embrace where she has encountered the way, the truth, and the life. And it was beautiful to watch that process unfold in her. And the reason that I share that story with you guys here today is because what I witnessed in Lisa, that process that I witnessed unfold in Lisa, as she began surrendering the things in her life, surrendering the ideas she had about God to actually know him personally, that process is a process that has to take place in my heart every single day. Every day. Where I give up the driver's seat of my life. Where I say, God, I am going to follow you Or God, I'm going to not live my truth. I'm going to adjust my life to live after you, to chase after you. Because I believe you are a better driver in my life than I could ever be. A few weeks after this photo was taken, we baptized Lisa. And we celebrated and continue to celebrate what God is doing in her life. The question that I want to ask each of us as we close here today is I want to make this personal. Do I know about God? Or do I know God? Maybe for you, there's an area of your life where you're still sitting in the driver's seat. You're struggling to hand it over. You're struggling to trust him. 
you're struggling to take Jesus at his word. I just open an invitation for you today to surrender that. To let him sit in the driver's seat of your life. To let him take the wheel of your life. To trust that he promises to go where he'll take us. That to trust him that he is someone who can be taken at his word. Do I know God? Or do I know about God? Is there an area of your life that is unsurrendered right now? God, I've given you 80%, but I'm holding on to this last 20%. Is it a relational thing that you need to surrender to God? Is it a financial component? God, I'm living with so much worry and anxiety over this area of my life. Is it an emotional thing for you? Mental health thing? Can I just tell you, like, God has done more work in my life through surrendering the driver's seat than I could ever see him doing by trying to stay in my own driver's seat. Do I know about God or do I know God? Is my lived experience filled with personal encounters with the living God who is closer than you know? Jesus has given you every tool that you need to know God intimately and personally as your everyday lived experience in your life. Several a while later, after Peter kind of did all his, you know, junk, denied Jesus, and Jesus resurrects and ascends to heaven, Peter preaches, and he says this in Acts 4, verses 12. He says, Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved. Only Jesus. He is not a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, and the only path to life that there is. And so what I want to do as we close is, is I'm going to pray in just a moment. And if you have an area of your life that you can think of that is just unsurrendered or under-surrendered to him, an area of your life filled with disorientation or anxiety or uncertainty, I want to invite you to silently pray alongside me and just surrender that specific area to him right now. Because he is faithful to take you where he promises we'll go together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are faithful. That you are present. As you said... You didn't go to heaven and leave us as orphans. You gave us everything we need to faithfully pursue and follow after you. That Jesus, you equip us and you empower us and you do not call us to things that we cannot faithfully carry out, Lord. And so thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that as we surrender the driver's seat of our life, God, I pray that we will experience this abundant life, this Zoe life as you describe it, and promise. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you desire to lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.